Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture reading is from Luke 24, verse 38 to 48. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When, I, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. And good morning again, and welcome, everybody, uh, to Redeemer Lincoln Square, the, the 2022 edition. I hope everybody is ready for the new year and um, to be ready for, uh, to be able to thrive no matter what circumstances are thrown our way and uh, to prepare us for the new year. What we're going to do to help is at the beginning of, our, of the calendar here, we're going to do a little mini-series looking at what does it look like for us all to live in light of Jesus. And we're doing this mini-series because we just celebrated right Christmas. Jesus has come into creation. He is here. But now the question is, so what? What does that mean for us? What do we do with that? And so today, if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you don't know what you believe, the questions that I think are the best to ask right now are this. It's, it's, it's what is the real-world cash value uh, of Jesus in my life? Why does this matter? Why do I need this? And if you are a Christian here today, that's kind of still the same question we should be asking as well. Right? Why do I really need him? What does this look like? And I'll go one step further. It's that in New York City, Christianity— is known primarily about what we're against. And what we need to ask ourselves is, what are we for? Right? What are we actually uh, for positively? And to answer that question, um, I think what we need to do is we need to correct the faulty concepts and ideas that we have about who Jesus is and what he's about. I believe that most people think that, whether you're a Christian or not, we think that Christianity is primarily just about belief. It's about believing, and, and it's, it's something that you do. But what this text here, and I think what the Bible says in general, says is that Christianity is not primarily just an intellectual belief. 
It is not primarily a, 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 about a, a cognitive ascent. It's what you do with your identity. It's what is going on in your nature. And so it's not less than your intellect, but it's, it's certainly more. Uh, this is why, by the way, our church is inside the Protestant tradition. But the Protestant, whole Protestant tradition, the reason you generally don't see very many pictures, depictions of Jesus, is not because we're a bunch of bad artists around here. The reason why we have uh, our, 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 our view of, um, oh, you know, that, that we don't do depictions in drawings of Jesus is because any particular drawing of Jesus is going to limit who he is. It's going to limit Jesus. And so this is why um, uh, we, uh, we, don't, we don't draw a picture of Jesus that's like warm and smiley because how, do you, how does that dovetail with Jesus as somebody who's overturning the tables? Right? We don't, we, it, it, both are Jesus. And uh, how do you draw and depict Jesus as king but not Jesus as prophet and priest? There is no picture that can contain everything. And, there, and therefore, I think what's what we're being asked as a, all of us is to engage Jesus on every single level. Prophet, priest, and king. So today, we're going to look at Jesus as prophet. And let's look at Jesus in three ways. We're going to look at Jesus the prophet for our mind. He's a prophet for our heart. And he's a prophet ultimately for you. So let's look at those things. He's a prophet for your mind. He's a prophet for your heart. And ultimately, he's a prophet for you. So first, he's a prophet for our minds. Biblically, prophets, if you want to get down to the essence of what a prophet did, a prophet brought truth. A prophet comes and speaks uh, is a, a truth to you. Generally, in the Old Testament, biblical prophets would come with a message from God to God's people. And often they didn't want to hear it, but they needed to hear it. And so these were ambassadors on behalf of God saying, here's what you need to hear, but you don't want to hear it. So often they would would use the phrase, thus saith the Lord. That's what almost all the Old Testament prophets did. Now, zoom to Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Peter's preaching a sermon there, and he quotes the Old Testament, and he says this. Hey, all those Old Testament prophets that God raised up, Jesus is the prophet who reveals all— And now, the Old Testament will only fully make sense if you read it through him. Jesus basically says the same thing in our text here. This is Luke chapter 24. This is post-resurrection. And Jesus shows up after the resurrection. He's standing among his disciples, and he says that these are people who are troubled in verse 38. These are people who are doubting in verse 38, right? He says to them, why are you troubled? Why do you doubt? Now, pause here for a second. There's many people in this room, and maybe in those of you zooming online as well, that you think that maybe you would believe more if you could just have talked to Jesus. A lot of us say, you know, if I could just see the miracles, I was physically there. I think I would, I would have more faith. I think I would believe more. I could really, really apply myself and identify with Christianity if I could just have been there. But that's actually not how it works. Look at the disciples in our text. These are the people who lived with Jesus. These are the people who uh, ate with Jesus. These are the people who saw the miracles of Jesus. These are the people who even performed miracles themselves. They went into towns and they cast out demons. They did all these things, and yet the text says they are troubled and they're doubting, which means you and I, if we were there, we would too. This is, go back to John chapter 4, and Jesus says this is the problem. Every generation, they want a sign. They, they, they think if they could just uh, um, have been there, it would be enough. 
But the answer here is saying, no, that's not how it works. It didn't stop their doubts, and it wouldn't stop your, you and, and I. So then the question we should ask ourselves, fine, then what do we need? What, what ultimately do we need? And it said, we're told in verse 45, what you need is you need to have your minds opened so that you can understand the scriptures. That's what it says here in verse 45. Prophets, right? Prophets reveal truth. And what this is saying is Jesus is the great high prophet. He is the one who opens your mind. In fact, you could have been Jesus' best friend back then and still not understood who he, what he was about unless he opened your mind to the scriptures. That means he's the key. Um, I'm going to show you my age. Uh, I grew up on Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Indiana Jones. And he could only find the ark. Why? Because he had that medallion that he had to put on that staff and put it in that, that room. And the light had to refract through the gem and pinpoint where the ark really was. Right? He, he, in other words, he needed a key to understand and release, you know, to find the treasure. Jesus... What we're being told is that key. He is, what we're being told is the entire scriptures, the whole arc of creation bends towards him and points towards him. And if you don't understand that, if you don't have that, then you're going to open the scriptures and you're going to either read it like a legalist, which then says, comes, what is a legalist? They come to the Bible and they say, okay, what do I need to do and how do I do it so that I can win, so that I can get through? That's, what, that's how a legalist opens up. The, or you open up like a relativist. You'll look it up and say, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm just going to come here and look at it. But either one of those views then doesn't let the Bible be what it's supposed to be unless Jesus opens our minds. Look what happens when he does in verse 46. What he says in verse 46, when he opens your mind, this is what is written. That the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for, and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, um, <laughs> small problem. He had said that before, hadn't he? He'd been telling, I'm sure he'd been telling the disciples this over and over and over again, but they didn't get it. They didn't actually, they couldn't actually hear it. Maybe you have heard this message before. Look at this. It says Jesus is, you know, for the repentance and forgiveness of sins. You might have heard that over and over and over again in your life. You might have heard it, but not have actually understood it. Your mind hadn't been opened to it. In other words, unless he opens your mind, you won't hear it. So, what this is trying to tell us, the first thing we see here is we need to seek not just the content. We need to seek not just the words. We need to seek him. And Jesus, what he's saying here, he's saying, I'm alive. I'm not dead. I'm real. You can know me. You can see me. And unless we have that encounter with Jesus, we're never going to see Jesus. That's what it's saying. The first thing here. And so I guess before we move on, are you placing yourself in a place where you can have that encounter? Isn't it interesting that Jesus himself says it, 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 that encounter happens in Scripture? It's endlessly fascinating that Jesus, when he shows up at the resurrection, he doesn't say, let me tell you everything now. No, he says, let me open your mind so you can read about it in Scripture. The very thing that you and I need, too. Are we placing ourselves near the Scriptures to hear, hear him? Are we placing ourselves where we can see him in the Scriptures? First thing. So he's a prophet for our mind. Secondly, he's a prophet for our heart. Jesus as a prophet doesn't just reveal himself into your mind. He comes for your heart too. In fact, I would argue that you can't have your mind open to him until your heart is open to him first. I would argue that you, you can't grasp the objective truth and reality of Jesus unless your heart is first engaged. So look at, look, look what happens in verse 44. 
before the mi- people's minds are open in 44, and sorry, in 45, this is what he says to them. He says, I know you're doubting. I know you're troubled. Right? I know you're, I know you're affectless. I know that you're, you're, you're not actually able to see who I really am. Maybe you haven't been moved well recently by Jesus. Maybe you have been around Jesus a lot, but you haven't actually sat with Jesus and been with him. What this is saying is, this is what I've told you. Look at verse 44. That I was, while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And he does, by the way, translation. When he says, this is what I've told you, you know, I've been telling you this for a while. What you should say right now is, wait a second, how does knowing that Jesus is coming for my heart in this statement, how does knowing that he uh, fulfills the law of Moses and the prophets, how does that move my heart? He's coming for your heart because it's not enough just to intellectually understand. He's coming for your heart because that needs to open so that you can understand. So I don't, to be honest, in some ways, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not here this morning. It's not about just knowing that Jesus saves you by grace. It's that your, does your heart, is it open to want to be saved by grace? That's a distinct concept that I think we forget, and we, and we go right by it. So let me just say it again. It's not enough for you to give me the definition of grace. It's not enough for you to just tell me what it's about. Is your heart open to being saved by grace? It's a very important distinction. Because there's a difference between just knowing honey, right? There's no, of conceptually able to under, tell me the contents of honey and then tasting it and experiencing it and, and absorbing it ourselves. You can know that you need grace, but you can't act, but that, that, that's a concept versus actually saying, no, I want grace. I have to have it in my life. I have to taste and experience it. And Jesus says all that in one line. Um, What he's saying is, as the prophet, I am the beginning and end. Look at verse 45 again. When he uses this word so they can understand, that Greek word understand is it literally means to to, um, put together a puzzle, to assemble a puzzle. So what Jesus is saying is the Bible to the naked eye, it's like a million-piece jigsaw puzzle without any way of knowing like what it, how it actually forms, right? Most, I usually try to look, get the box and that, that tells you what it's supposed to look like because that's the key to putting the puzzle together. Jesus is saying, I'm that key. And if you don't have him as that key, here's what's going to happen. You're going to open the Bible, and if you don't know that he's the key, you're going to look at all the characters in there, and you're going to think they're the heroes. So you're going to go to Abraham and say, oh, Abraham's the hero. Problem. He can't be the hero. He lied about his wife. You can say, oh, David, David must be the hero, right? He's the king. No, David's the murderer. Every single hero that you think you're supposed to look to in the Bible ends up not being enough. Joshua, Daniel, Elijah, Elijah, all the prophets, they're not good enough. But in verse 44, it says that he, it says here what? He fulfills. What does that mean? From Adam with the curse, he fulfills all the deeds that you should have done. He fulfills all the dirty deeds that you did do. He fulfills and takes those deeds that are not enough. And to the degree that you see that Jesus is the key, to that degree will your hearts change. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them. 
which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. To that degree, will our hearts be moved. So, he's a prophet for our mind, he's a prophet for our heart, but ultimately, he's a prophet for you. Hopefully right now in this sermon, you're kind of going, okay, that's not, thanks, Mike, that's, that's great, that's great content, but I'm still not moved. In fact, this is the question I get mostly as a pastor. I say, I believe in Jesus, I just don't feel his presence. Number one statement I, I heard from college students when I worked with college students, I believe in him, but I just don't feel his presence. And you know what? That's fair. I wonder, look at these disciples. They're in the same exact space. They're troubled in verse 38. They, they doubt. I wonder how many of them sat there and they maybe saw Jesus walk on water and it didn't. Okay, I see it. What does it mean? Why does it affect me? Why do I need this? They might be in the same exact place that you're in right now. They might have actually intellectually believed in Jesus, but their hearts weren't engaged with Jesus. And you know what he does? He diagnoses that problem. He sees it, right? Verse 38, I see this. What's his answer? What's What's the prognosis? The very next verse, look at verse 39. He says, look at my hands and feet. He says, touch me and see. He says, see again. Look in verse 39. He says, look, touch, see, see. See, he knows how to engage the heart. He knows it's not enough to intellectually just believe Christianity. It means looking, touching, tasting, seeing. He says his hands and his feet. He's like, does he have like a hand-feet fetish? No. He, notice, why doesn't he say, look at my neck, head and shoulders, knees and toes? Why, why doesn't he do that? The reason why is that it's not just every single body part. He's specifically pointing out his hands and his feet. And this is important. Jesus, this is post-resurrection. This is a perfected body. Why would Jesus' perfected body have wounds in his hands and his feet from the cross? Why would, why would those still be there? I thought the perfected body is supposed to be everything's back to the way it's supposed to be. And the answer is, with Jesus, that's exactly What's happening? His, the wounds in his hands and feet is part of his perfected body. In other words, if your perfected body is supposed to be the is beauty, there's something beautiful about Jesus' hands and feet with the wounds. And the answer is because those are the places that were pierced for you. Those are the places where we can look to and say that's the solution. That's the beauty that I can enter into. That's the place where I can most recognize his love for me. I find it endlessly fascinating that when they're most frightened, when they're most in doubt, when they're most troubled, when they most feel like they're not connected to him, when you and I are the least connected to him, he says, look at my wounds. Generally, if you think of wounds, wounds are kind of gross, right? They're bleeding. I, don't, I, I get kind of queasy with blood and all that stuff. I don't want to see it. But Jesus is saying, here they're actually beautiful because the very locations of pain are the places where he saves the universe. 
where he redeems creation, where he actually says, you know, we can come in here and pretend and we can have our phones and have a beautiful cultivated life scrolling through it on Instagram. Or you can take a dose of reality, look at yourself, look at the world and say, things are not the way they're supposed to be. Things are, are, are falling apart and I need a solution for it. And Jesus says, look at my wounds. I have a friend who um, uh, I met in college. And, you know, in college, you're 18, 19, 20, and you're, you're saying, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this guy <clears throat> said he wanted to be an OBGYN. And I don't know about you, but when you're 18, 19, 20, and you have another guy saying he wants to be an OBGYN, that's, that's, um, that was weird. Um, that was strange for me. I got to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't know what to do with that. But, I, you know, you try to be respectful, and you say, well, okay, but why? And he was very, right away, he said, I want to deliver babies. And what he did was he committed his life to that. He took courses in college. Um, he had never done it before. He actually said he'd never been in an OR. But he trained for years, studied it intellectually, knew all that he could about delivery. And he called me, actually, when he delivered his first baby. And he said, Mike, I, 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 had, I knew all the science. I, you know, we practiced it. We did all these things. But when I delivered that first baby, I wept. And I said, why did you weep? He said, I wept because I was holding life in my hands. It was a thing that I always thought I, I, that I wanted to do, but I didn't know until I actually held it in my hands, when I held that baby. You see, he moved from intellectually believing ba- delivering babies as a concept to actually experience it. And it's the same for us. When we hold that life, it says here in the text that these, uh, well, look what it says in verse 40 and 41. They still did not believe because, it, because joy and amazement. They didn't have joy and amazement. They had the intellectual concept, but they didn't, until the joy comes, until the weeping, until the, until the experience happens, it doesn't become real. And so the question is, how can that happen for us today? I think the answer that we're being told, when Jesus locates it in the fact that he's fulfilled these things, that he's the true prophet, Every other religion, by the way, says Jesus, it says Jesus, well, some religions say Jesus is a prophet, but every religion has a prophet saying, let me come to show you the way. Only Christianity says, yeah, but I'm the prophet that is the way. And, and not only that, the Bible doesn't let you blend them. In the Bible, you know, kings can't be prophets and prophets can't be kings. Go to Second Chronicles, right? You have a whole list of all these kings doing bad things. Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah, he enters the temple, burns incense as a priest, and he's called out. He's told, it is not for you to burn incense. Why not? It was, the way, it was a way of saying, there's only, you can't actually do it all. Only one person can be a prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, is, as a prophet, is telling you your need. Jesus, as priest, can minister to you in your need. And Jesus, as king, can lead us despite our need. Because only Jesus can perfectly turn to you and say, put your fingers in the locations of where I redeemed you and saved you and loved you. And because of that, I've taken care of you for all of eternity so that you can be free. You can be free. So prophetically, I can come and show you your need. And priestly, I can do something about that need. And and then kingly, I can rebuild and make all things new. Some of us in in this room, if you take inventory about your own character. Some of you are naturally prophets. You like to call out, right? And I actually think our culture right now is moving more prophetically. Let's call out 
brokenness and, and, and issues where they are. That's a good thing. But some of us are naturally priests. We like to minister to people. We like to speak softly to them. We like to be kind to them and bandage people up and help the wounded and intercede for them. Some of us are naturally kings. We like to build. We like to, to innovate. We like to lead. Now, the problem, of course, is if you're, if you're a king, you like to build and, and give orders and tell people what to do. You tend not to be humble and interceding and let me tell you what you need and let me, let me minister to your issues. Right? If you're prophetic and you speak truth, it's hard for you sometimes to sit and love and hold you all together. The truth is, only one person can pull all these off together, and it's Jesus. And when you see him doing that for you, that's where you will have joy. Let me put it this way. Maybe in your whole life you've seen Jesus dying, but have you seen Jesus dying for you? That's the kicker. That's the change. Maybe you've seen him pursue and love the world, but have you really seen him pursue and love you? Maybe Thomas, right, didn't just need to see Jesus' wounds. He needed to see Jesus' wounds for him. That's how you really meet Jesus. You don't come into your own life, right? He doesn't just come into your life when you know enough. He doesn't come into your life when you believe enough. He comes into your life precisely at the moment when you actually need him in your life. And you, you will most need him when you most want him, and you will most want him when you see his heart for you. And when you see his heart for you, then, you, then only then will you have a heart for, for him and a heart for others, surprisingly, as well. His heart for you is seen in his life, his willingness to come, right? We just celebrated that. He came to, down from heaven, lived for you, died for you, gave everything up for you, and therefore, gazing at his wounds. That's not some morbid thing of like, ew, gross. It's saying, look at the beauty of what he did because of the costliness of, of the brokenness of the world applied to me. Not applied in general, but applied to me. Because what, what those wounds are saying is, yeah, it is bad. Yeah, it is broken. And the brokenness of the world out there, and the brokenness in here, the brokenness in my marriage, the brokenness in my singleness, the brokenness in my sadness, in my apathy, whatever is troubling you right now, realize that all the circumstances that you have are not random. They're one giant story telling you, screaming at you, to see the beauty of Jesus' wounds as the only solution to what's ailing you and what's ailing the world. That he had to die for you, but he wanted to die for you. That the more you put your mind on the scriptures, the more you use Jesus as the interpretive key for your whole life, it will change the circumstances. The pandemic, we can lament and mourn it, or, and we can also use it to look at Jesus' wounds and say, ah, it's going to be all right. Ultimately, I know, as broken as, for how long, O oh Lord, is this going to continue? Race. How long, O oh Lord, is this going to happen? Sexism. How long is this going to happen? Uh, crime, bro- you know, pride, greed. Whatever is ailing the world in us, what this is saying is, in his wounds, we'll see how he loved us and saved us. Go to him. Realize that you'll never be able to try hard enough. You'll never be able to be good enough. 
yet he's speaking the truth to you. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to try hard in the good side. It's actually letting him speak to you and let grace actually matter. Last night, one of my daughters came to me and she was complaining about uh, one, of her, one of her friends, one of the flaws of her friends. And I, and I agreed with her. I was like, that's a, that's a real flaw. But let's, let's do something here. Let's talk about the flaws of everybody. What's the flaw of your, of your mother? What's the flaw of your sister? What's my flaw? And then I said, what's your flaw? And the truth was we found out that everybody has different flaws. Some are worse than others. But when we see our own flaws, to the degree that we see how bad we are, the most cut up we are about those flaws, to that degree will we allow his grace and his wounds to apply to us and move us. And when we're met by that gracious love, to that degree do we have any hope to ever interacting with anybody else's flaws? See, notice how now his wounds aren't just about you individually. Now you see, oh my gosh, they actually apply to us socially and how to move in the world, not just psychologically, but, but sociologically out in grace. You will be able to have sheer grace in your own, when you have sheer grace in your flaws, you'll be able to be transformed in how you deal with others. When you can say this phrase, when you can say, hey, I know God loves me despite what I've done, that I know uh, that, that he won't ever leave me. That actually, when he, this is what's so great about him dying in the past, is that he died for you now. But then he died for you the, a year from now when you did that thing that you didn't know that you were going to do. But he already paid, paid for it before you even knew you were going to do it. When you let that move you, now I can love others when they've hurt me and they've done flawed things to me or the world or they've hurt other individuals and I can enter into that despite what they've done because you know how it's applied to you. Look at his wounds, not just intellectually but personally and when you do, to the degree that you do, it'll melt your heart and allow our minds to open and our eyes to see. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Rich wounds yet visible above and beauty glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of us here believe, help our unbelief. Some of us don't believe. What's belief? Belief is just trust. What's trust? It's ultimately saying, I'm going to place my life in yours. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what it means to have no condemnation, not because it's things didn't happen. It's not because we didn't do what we've done. It's that you have covered those things. Father, there's an infinite mystery about why you felt it was worth it, but for some reason you did, and you said, I love you, I want to be with you, I'm going to do something about it. As the start of 2022, I pray everybody in this room, we're dealing with different issues and different struggles, different things set us off, different things annoy us. I pray that we have a deep sense and inner peace of how you've met us. Let that, let us sit in that. Let that be the power that propels us into the next year and the next and the next and the next. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.